What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Flip Hacking Live podcast. This is Bill Allen, and today I want to tell you how you can beat out your competition by using this one creative strategy. The big question is this, how do you start or grow a real estate investing business that will give you the income and financial freedom you desire without losing a ton of money or wasting years of your life trying to figure it out all by yourself? That is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm your host, Bill Allen, and together we are going behind closed doors so you can hack the country's top experts and learn the secret tips, tricks, and strategies that actually work in today's market. Welcome to the Flip Hacking Live podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, I want to talk to you about how we beat out the competition all the time using something we call an escrow holdback. And you can beat out the competition. Other people that are coming in to offer on the house, the same house, same price, same everything, just by using this one thing in your contract and actually listening to the seller about what they need and some of their limitations and why they might not sell or why they're kind of uh, holding back for something else. And if you can solve their problem, then you're going to win. And this is one way, one tool that we use to solve their problem all the time. So an escrow holdback for us is basically what we, what we do, what we're doing is we're buying the house, we're closing on the house, we're holding back some money and we're allowing the seller or the tenants or whoever is in the house to stay in that house for some period of time, some agreed upon period of time before they move out and they get the remainder of that money. So I'll give you a couple examples over this uh, video, but uh, essentially an escrow holdback is just a tool that you can use when somebody says things like, I don't have any money to move or I have to buy another house or um, I, you know, I'm just completely broke, this house is all I have. I need to move somewhere else into an apartment or, hey, you know, we're talking to the son or the daughter and mom doesn't have enough money to move from that house to another or something like that. So we hear that all the time. Typically, the person's house that we're talking about and negotiating on is the one asset that they have and they don't have a lot of other cash and they're in some sort of need, right? We work in the distressed seller world, so they have some sort of need that has to be solved, whether it's uh, medical bills, whether it's... Um, uh, facing foreclosure, whether it's uh, all kinds of different things, right? And when they sell that house, they typically need to go somewhere else. And this is a lot of owner-occupied problems, but it could also be tenant-occupied things or, or landlords see this too. So, so what, um, what do we do with this? So let's, let's jump into a, an example of a house that we just did. So um, I'll use just random purchase prices to help you guys out. But what we try to do is we try to hold back as much as possible. So we have a ton of leverage to make sure that they're going to get out and the house is going to be in good condition. So I've seen people hold back like $5,000, $10,000 and give up $150,000, $200,000 of the purchase price and hold back a small amount. I don't recommend that. I recommend holding back as much as possible and giving them what they need to move and then moving forward. So obviously it's all in the negotiation. So as you're in this appointment with the seller and you find out that Let's use the example that they need to buy another house. So they have nowhere to go, right? So they're, they're leaving this house and they need to buy another home or they need to rent another house, right? So, okay, I'm in this house and I know that they're selling their house, maybe they're downsizing. So they're selling a house for $200,000 and they wanna buy another house and maybe they, they own it cash, they wanna buy another house for $120,000 as an example. And, but they can't buy their next house without selling this house, right? So what do we do? So typically what we do is we tell them, hey, that's no problem, we can figure this out. So we can buy this house for $200,000, 
We can leave you in the house. We can give you the $120,000 that you need. And usually the question is, how much do you need to move? Like how much money would you need? And they say, well, we need $120,000. And then, oh, is there some closing costs? Yeah, there's probably, you know, $5,000 in closing costs. So then they would take that $125,000. We'd hold back $75,000 in escrow for when they got out of the house. And maybe it would take two weeks to close the next home. Or we can work with them to put that other house under contract while we have it under contract. And they can just have a week there to move their things. So this is, this is like a convenience factor for somebody. It's absolutely amazing tool. So they don't have to rush out of this house to move into another one, go to like pack up all their boxes, move them into some storage area, go stay in a hotel for three or four days till their next house closed and then move over there. So you can imagine how this would be really attractive if we understand how to use this tool and other people don't. So other people might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Um, what about they don't have any money to move? How about this? Like I've heard this hundreds of times. Like I don't have any money to get a moving truck and move all these things and, and empty out the house. So typically for us, it's, well, just leave your things in the house. But we have paid for people to move in the house before, but I, will, I almost always want to close on the house first. So let me close on the house. How much is it going to cost to move? $10,000? Well, we'll buy the house for $100,000. We'll give you $10,000 at closing to pay for the moving company, get everything moved out. When you actually vacate the premises a week later, everything's in good condition, we'll give you the next 90. The title company will wire the next 90 when we release the escrow. And you could do 50,000 and 50,000 and you can structure it any way that you want. But this escrow holdback is so powerful that we've gotten deals sometimes for less money than our competition because we knew that that was really important to them. And maybe they need to move into apartment. We've paid first month's rent, last month's rent, security deposit, all that stuff by using an escrow holdback on the property before. So it's really powerful. The example that I want to give you, like a really uh, clear one in my head that we did was we had a, uh, we had a family who, uh, it was a husband and wife, older couple, and they had just bought this brand new construction house two years before. They were upset that there was an apartment building going in behind their, uh, their house, this neighborhood. There's an apartment building going, they said, I don't want to, I don't want to live here anymore. But they owned the house cash and we bought it for or $120,000, bought it for $120,000 and the house was worth about 170. We were just going to clean it up and put it on the MLS for 170. We bought it for 120. They were motivated. They were ready to go. They were happy with that price. That was the price they asked for. And they wanted to buy another house for the same price, $120,000, they found another house. And so what did we do? We gave them the, uh, we gave them an escrow holdback. So we actually let them maintain, like stay in the house. In this case, I held $10,000 back. So they had to come up with $15,000, which they had. We talked about all that in negotiation. This house was in great condition. I had no doubt that these people were going to move out of the house. I connected them with my realtor. So a realtor that was in my brokerage, I connected them with a realtor who found their other house. So worked with them to find their other house that they could buy. So I got a referral commission on the purchase of the new house that they were buying. We held back $10,000. We closed on their house, so we bought their house. We gave them a week in this house. We, we, we were able to do a closing at the same title company and they closed on the same day. So we bought their house, or we bought their house and they bought their new house on the same day. And they had a week to move their things from their current house to their new house. And then we held back $10,000. When they moved everything out, it was all cleaned out, cleaned up. We gave them the $10,000 back from the title company.
That was it. I mean, it was that simple. It was just like a one for one trade. They paid some closing costs out of pocket, probably, you know, five, $10,000. And that was it. You know, it was uh, just an amazing transaction. I got paid to buy the first house. So when we sold, we, we ended up selling, flipping the first house. I also got paid as a, a, a referral fee from the realtor commission. So I made like 30% of what that uh, real estate agent made. The sellers were incredibly happy because they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to deal with anything. They have to, the, we gave them the realtor. We worked the title companies. We were able to do a simultaneous closing for them the same day. Basically, I wired the money in and they used that to close their house that they were buying. It was, and they were there the same day, signed all the paperwork. It was just like a one for one trade basically. And we did a lot of that based on escrow holdback. I've done the same thing with somebody who needed to move into an apartment. So I actually, in this case, I was buying the house for $80,000. And I just gave them $7,000 when we bought the house. So we held back uh, 73,000 and they got that money. They were able to move out. They were able to get their apartment set up, move it about 10 days in the house to move into that new, that new apartment and sell their house. And then they got the rest of the cash when they moved out. So what are some of the gotchas here? I want to share some of the gotchas because as I've been doing these over time, we've done a lot of them really right, but we've done a couple of them where I wish I would have done something a little bit differently. So the downside of this is they can overstay um, past the seven days or the 10 days or things like that. Um, the other side is they could damage the house. They could burn the house down, frankly. They could do lots of things while they're living there. They could never move out. They could squat in there. So if you don't get enough down payment, they could take their $90,000 and never leave. So here's some of the tips that I have of how we actually do that. So the first one is get a lease signed. So what we do is we do a lease for no money. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll do just a lease for like a week where we actually have a lease in place so we can evict versus an ejection. So ejecting somebody, actually going to court and kicking them out of a house that you just bought that they've lived in for 40 years, for example, it can be a challenge when you go to a judge. Now, if you put a lease in place after purchase and they have a lease for a week, now I actually have something that says that they're renting this house from me as the new owner and I can... I can evict them, go through the normal eviction process. So based on your county, your state, your, all those laws and uh, legal things, you really need to think about what that looks like and how your lease is gonna look. But we basically do $0, there's no deposit, there's none of that stuff, but they're saying that they're gonna lease this property for a certain amount of time. It was all included in the contract that we signed for the purchase, and now there are tenants in that home. And that's a legal document that has helped us in the past to get people out. Um, that number, the second one is uh, put a, a dollar per day if they overstay. So a lot of these escrow holdbacks will be, if I'm holding back $50,000, for example, and I know my holding costs on that property is $250 a day, maybe I put $300 a day or $500 a day or something painful like $1,000 a day to overstay. And then I'm charging them $1,000 a day in the contract for any day they stay over a certain period of time. Some of these escrow holdback contracts that you could write could say that they, if they stay one day over, they'll forfeit all of their money. That's a challenge though. If you're going to keep $50,000 because they stayed one day over, uh, for me, I like to put an amount of money per day where it's painful for them. It makes me money. And I'm actually don't really mind if they overstay because it's a thousand dollars a day and it might be a hundred to $150 in holding costs per day to hold that property. So I'm actually making money if they stay over and I don't feel like I'm, I'm really squeezing them hard by like, forfeiting all of their escrow holdback, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 or more. Um, the next one is if you're going to wholesale this deal. So if you've got a deal that you're wholesaling, that you've uh, negotiated an escrow holdback with the seller, you got to make sure that as you wholesale that deal, 
the, the end buyer knows that contract that you have. So communicate up front. Don't wait till the end to say, oh, hey, by the way, that seller is going to be staying for a week or two weeks afterwards to clean out the property and things like that. You need to communicate that in your initial marketing piece for that contract as you're emailing that those people or texting those people about that contract, that it's in there. So be upfront, communicate, do things the right way. Don't uh, surprise the, the flipper, the landlord on the back end when they don't know that the tenants are overstaying or the, the owners are overstaying and you surprise them at the end with an escrow holdback and they're not going to get all their money. Um, the next one is damage to the home. Make sure that in your contract, you say that it's in the same condition as when we purchased and, and closed on the property because they can rip holes in the walls. They can, they can take a, appliances. They can do all kinds of things that you weren't expecting them to do. So make sure that that's very clear in your escrow holdback. It's actually listed and you, you include some photos, things like that. So um, write out the expectations, make sure that they sign it in that holdback uh, form. It's just an addendum that we add to our contract. We have an addendum, an escrow holdback addendum where it talks about this stuff. The last one that I'm going to cover is insurance. Don't forget to insure the property. So when you close on the property and they're staying in there for an extra week, get insurance on that property right away. If it burned down, burns down two days later, then you lost your asset, right? And at that point, um, you still, it, it can be a challenge. So just make sure you have insurance on it. And um, it's one thing that we've screwed up on in the past in our process is we bought the house closed on it, the owner's staying in there and we didn't even, we we're like, yeah, we're not even starting renovations for two weeks. And we just assume like, we need to insure it from that day. So make sure you get insurance on that property. So hopefully this helps. I think this escrow holdback, if you've never heard of it before, then um, you have got to dig into this and start using it in your contracts and think about it as you're listening to the seller's talk if they need money to move, if they need money to buy another house, like how can you solve their problems and how can you help? And this has, this has been huge for us. We've done hundreds of these. It has helped us move, move contracts when we didn't think we could, sign up, uh, sign up deals that other people couldn't figure out how to sign up. And um, sometimes we take it for granted, uh, this tool and this trick that we use um, called escrow holdback. So I hope this helps. And um, I think if you start using this, you'll be able to sign up more deals. You might be able to pay less than other people. You'll be able to beat out the competition. You'll be able to give the seller what they need at times that they don't think that they have a solution. And these are the kind of things that realtors can't help them with. MLS can't help them with all of the, you, you gotta be creative in this business. This isn't even really deep into creative financing, but this is a creative way to kind of add on to your cash offer that, or, or any offer that you're making, frankly, to uh, figure out how to get the deal. So hope that helps. I'll see you guys on the next video. Hey, it's Bill again, and I want to personally invite you to our biggest event of the year, Flip Hacking Live. If you could copy the exact deal sources, marketing strategies, negotiation tactics, and business systems of the most successful house flippers and wholesalers in the nation, how would that change your business? Flip Hacking Live is a three-day event that we do just once per year, and it's happening October 15th through the 17th. We bring in the nation's top wholesalers and house flippers to walk you through everything they're doing how they're marketing directly to sellers, how they're picking up discounted off-market properties, how they're doubling their close ratio with the right negotiation tactics, how they're raising millions of dollars in private money, the things they're doing that other investors aren't doing, all of it. These are the guys and gals who are actively doing deals at a high volume in today's market all across the country. You get their full attention for three days. They have agreed to hold nothing back and you'll be right there with them so you can ask questions and get clarification on anything that you need. This is your chance to hack the nation's top flippers and wholesalers and ethically steal their exact strategies and systems. All you have to do is take notes, 
ask questions, and apply what you learn. But first, you need to get a ticket. We've sold out every year and ticket prices go up every few months. So go to fliphackinglive.com right now and get your tickets today. Fliphackinglive.com, October 15th through the 17th. This is an event that you cannot afford to miss.